Good afternoon, good morning, good evening. Wherever you are in the world, I am Russell Tovey. And I'm Robert Diamond. And this is Talk Art. Welcome to Talk Art. How are you today, Robert? Today, Russell, I feel like an adventurer. Ooh. And I feel like an electric art adventurer. Oh, yeah. Tell me about that. Well, where are we right now, Russ? Well, right now, we are actually in Leeds. We've just arrived in the BMW Electric iX, which is stunning. And we want to continue our art adventures that we had last year where we were driving around in a BMW i7. And we ended up at Stonehenge for Henry Moore when there was an exhibition at uh, House and Worth in Bruton in Somerset. And now we found ourselves in Leeds because there is another Henry Moore uh, museum here called the Henry Moore Institute. Right, Rob? That's right. And we are so excited to go and meet Lawrence Sillers, who's the new director there for the past kind of five years or so. Um, I used to visit a lot when Lisa Lefevre was there, the amazing curator. And it's a real centre of excellence. And I really wanted to go there with you because I know you've never been there before to kind of show you their libraries, you know, to show you their exhibition programme and just to meet all of the team. Because it's a really specifically um, interesting uh, gallery in the sense that, that they're all very academic and it's it's almost like being in a university centre or something like that. Well, I'm really excited to see that. But we are also planning to further our uh, electric art adventure by going to see Anthony Gormley's Angel of the North as well in this trip, which is a sculpture that neither of us have seen either. So we're doing Henry Moore, legend, Anthony Gormley, legend. And we're yeah. doing that all in the BMW electric uh, iX. And right now... We're charging up the iX. We are. And actually, Russ, I'm just looking at the BMW app. It's called My BMW. And I've also just come across this amazing book called the BMW Art Guide, which was in the car here. And it looks like we could actually keep going. We we could even go to like Jupiter Artland. It's one of the collections. Well, in that's here. in Edinburgh. Yeah, because I think if we go to. But what about range anxiety, Rob? I always worry about driving an electric car for too long. No, you don't need to have range anxiety, babes. We, we've both had electric cars now for about. A year and a half. I've got an i3. What have you got? An iX. Yeah, but will this will this map show us where the charging points are? Oh yeah, are? it will do. Yeah, and also I think there is a charging point near to Angel of North. So what we could do is stop off there. How do you know this? Well, because the angels of BMW have have taught me about <laughs> the electric it. angels. Yeah, the electric angels. <laughs> and the thing is, there are now so many um, electric charging points. And what you can do is, I think people often have the idea that when you charge the car, you have to charge the whole car, yeah, yeah. like the full, you know, three hundred miles. No, you don't need to do that. Oh. You can stop and do a thirty-minute charge, and that adds about hundred miles to your journey. So if we go with a three hundred miles now, which is what we're going with, mm. by the time we get there, you just do a thirty-minute charge, and then you. You still have your full your full tank and we get to see some art while we're charging we do and i think that's a nice thing to make people realize they can drive in nature and then stop at a public sculpture like we're going <laughs> and have to electric and, and eat a little picnic have and, we got a picnic uh, yeah what have you brought? Dejeuner sur l'herbe, babes. What's that? We're like a Manet painting. Oh, yeah, Le Dejeuner sur l'herbe. Yeah. So we're going to have breakfast under a tree. Yeah, we are, yeah. Fantastic. So well, it. let's go to the Henry Moore Institute in Leeds right now and meet Lawrence. All right, I'm just going to put it, put it in. Oh, it's already there. My BMW app's connected to my calendar. <laughs> and it's actually already put the address in. Great. I love this. All right. So easy. Okay, thank you. We're going to go inside now. Exciting. So we are inside the most beautiful library within inside the Henry Moore Institute. I am so envious this would be the dream sort of to live in. It's like a mid-century modern wood. It's beautifully designed. There's incredible tables. We love it, don't we? We love a book. It really does feel like we've actually entered a dream. Yeah. <laughs> We're surrounded by so many great... Because on the spine of each book, you can see the names of all these amazing sculptors. 
from hundreds of years, I think. Um, and we are here with the director of the Henry Moore Institute in Leeds. And I actually knew you like a decade ago because you used to be at the Baltic. And we are welcoming now Lawrence Sillers. Hi, Lawrence. Hi. Thank you for being here. Uh, thanks for having us. Yeah, it's amazing. So you are the director of the Henry Moore Institute in Leeds. What does that mean for people listening? What do you direct in particular? <laughs> well, the Henry Moore Institute is a, a many-headed entity as the name suggests, we have a connection, a very strong connection with Henry Moore. We're part of the wider Henry Moore Foundation, but the Henry Moore Foundation has several parts. Moore's own legacy, his collection, his estate, his house and his studios are open for viewing uh, in Perry Green in Hertfordshire. But Leeds is the city where he studied, where he really cut his teeth as a sculptor. And he'd walk up that street just to the left of us. Uh, most mornings with Barbara Hepworth, he'll go to the art school. He had a phenomenal experience here, but I think was always a little frustrated about his lack of access to culture and access to art. So when he was thinking about his legacy, he wanted to redress that. And many, many conversations later, 30 years ago, the Henry Moore Institute opened. And we're essentially a centre for the study of sculpture in its broadest terms. We don't actually show Moore's work, but we open up doors to sculpture uh, across countries, across continents, and really are historically expansive. So for anyone who wants to think about sculpture, they can just walk in the door anytime for free. Do people come here thinking they're going to see a Henry Moore sculpture though do you have to let people down (laughs) gently sometimes Um, it's not unheard of his name is above the door (laughs) obviously he's a globally known sculptor globally known artist so there is that anticipation but I think people know what we're here for increasingly and we have exhibitions so we have a temporary rolling exhibitions program Uh, we have a very strong connection with the art gallery next door, working collaboratively on their sculpture collection. This is which the Leeds is Art utterly Gallery. Brilliant, the Leeds yeah. and Art also, Gallery. And also, they actually have a Henry Moore outside. As they have part a Henry Moore collection. Outside. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, That's actually on long loan from the Henry Moore Foundation. Oh, but wow. they have some really great Moors within their own collection. Oh, it's so cool. So this place was set up in 1977 with Henry Moore himself and the family to encourage the public appreciation of the visual arts because that as you're saying that came from his frustration of not having public art and not having art accessible to people around here and that felt like a real drive for him do you get a big audience that come to this space and come to this amazing library Absolutely. Um, We do. We have a very strong audience, both of physical visitors, but actually now an increasingly expansive online audience. A big part of what we do is uh, research programs. So we'll pick a a theme. We might have a season. Um, The exhibition that's currently on at the moment, The Weight of Words, looking at the intersection of sculpture and poetry, grew from one of those research seasons. So we'll have talks and events that are online throughout the year but now we have a big audience coming to see exhibitions to use this library that we're sitting in um thanks for the description it is an absolute perk of the job it's just a (laughs) joyous space to be in Thirty thousand books and ever-growing periodicals uh the artist files around the corner we just saw some of the artist files we actually requested to see rebecca warren's Uh because i remembered rebecca had a sculpture outside a giant bronze which was incredible a few years ago and we wanted to see if you had a file and you did and it was really full of amazing newspaper cuttings and all kinds of stuff and it really is a dream in here like if you were an artist and you come in here it's just like such a kind of 
calm, exciting environment that can, you know, help you pursue your academic kind of interests. Um, and that in itself is such a generous act. Was this also part of Henry Moore's own idea? Absolutely. He was he was a deep thinker. He looked everywhere and, um, you know, very much a, a reader, a collector, both in nature, walking mm. along the beach, getting pebbles, but, you know, reading, taking notes, looking at other work. So, yeah, an absolutely dreamlike to coin your phrase, uh, environment for artists, scholars, or just anyone who wants to get lost in a book or two. So if you came as a visitor, anyone's allowed in here? Absolutely. No yeah. way. It's and you can pull library. out their boxes, because some of the boxes yep. have like tools in, don't they, at some <laughs> points? And... Well, though, those ones are more kind of paper-based, right. um, but we have an archive of sculptors' papers, which represents the working lives of several hundred British sculptors through... A whole array of materials. I mean, you think you hear archive, you often just think paper, notebooks. We have all that, but um, I'm just around the corner is the book collection um, of Helen Chadwick. We have Epstein's toolbox. I mean, there, that's here. Can we see yeah. that? I'm sure you can. Oh my yeah, God, this is so exciting. And so his you, glasses, I think, as well. Well, we, we, we can try those on. So um, this is a registered tra- charity, yeah. and you award grants to international organisations around the world. Is that an incredible thing to be doing, and how does that work? Absolutely. And again, I mean, it goes back to Moore's benevolence. He wanted to ensure that sculptors and those thinking about sculpture, museums around the world, and absolutely in this country, would have a lifeline. Um, So we support exhibitions, we support publications, we support academics doing research um, and acquisitions. And yeah, the Henry Moore Grants Programme is is open to pretty much anyone thinking about sculpture. We meet four times a year. Wow. And yeah, it's part of his legacy. There was um, a pot of money that's protected. Um, even in these really challenging times. And, From the sale of his artworks? Or? Um, yeah, it's sort of the wealth that he amassed. He did He did very well, as you know, did towards, right, he? Yeah, towards yeah, yeah. the end of his life, <laughs> yeah. um, but was incredibly generous with that and wanted to secure his generosity for for decades to come. We were actually just in Norwich. We got honorary professorships from the Norwich University and we went to the uh-huh. Sainsbury Centre uh-huh. and we saw some amazing tiny ones, like little, almost maquettes. like maquettes. Yeah. Kind of like maybe bronze. I wasn't quite sure what material they were, but and they also had a giant one outside um, facing Rebecca, actually, Rebecca Warren. It was really cool. There are some great ones there. Yeah. And the maquettes, um, I mean, just if anyone is, is near or heading to Hertfordshire, there is a maquette studio of Moore's there, which no is... Astonishing. And what, and what is that called? The Henry Moore Maquette Studio. <laughs> you got it in white. Is it? No, it's not. <laughs> is it really? Yeah, well, it's I've the Maquette. I've heard of that one. Oh Maquette my god, room. that's very cool. And I came here years ago and saw a Phila Barlow show. And but you know, sadly, she's now passed away. But she was a previous guest of the podcast, and it really blew my mind that show because of the the way they um, installed all of her drawings and works on paper, and making you think about sculpture in that way. You know, that you can like use a pencil and start to imagine yeah. what a public sculpture could be and um, I found that installation so impactful and I think that's also something that your your exhibition program does it kind of brings out a different side to sculpture I think we really want to provide a 360 degree perspective on what it is to be a sculptor what it is to make sculpture the challenges of you know it's a difficult thing to do materials are expensive space is difficult storage is difficult there are lots of you know inroads into the mind of a sculpture that I think can be really valuable when you're thinking about it more broadly hence the library the archive the research program our engagement programs and the physical stuff in our exhibitions great and you've got an exhibition on now 
at the moment called The Weight of Words, which is in the main gallery. This is a group exhibition, which is the overlap between sculpture and poetry. And this is national and international contemporary artists. That's right, yeah. How many artists are in that show? Oh, good question. 18? 18. Thank 18. you, Cara. Someone from across the room <laughs> shouted 18. Very good. And how, how, did it, how long did it take to curate that exhibition, to bring all these artists together? Um, well, actually, it was a, an exhibition that grew from a research season, which is one of the really nice things oh, about cool. the way the, the Institute does things. So you yeah. think about it, you invite different speakers, you do your research, and then you make the exhibition rather than... I mean, I think often research happens as you're making the exhibition. Um, so it grew from a series of conversations that actually happened during COVID. Um, so it's been, you know, two and a half, three years in the making. And the, I mean, the crisscross, the different, the relationships between different art forms, I think is is well known. But there's something very special about the relationship between the verbal and the visual using words as, you know, this is talk art. We're using words to talk about art. But the curators of this show really identified an overlap between sculpture and poetry where they collide and occupy the same space. So there's some fantastic works in there that you've probably already seen. If not, I'll make sure you go down there later. Simona Fatale and Etel Adnan, where they have worked together and collaborated, and there's, there's this four works, isn't it? They fought like a... Yeah. What do you call that? A, not a diptyque, a quadtique. I don't know if there's a word. We'll coin one. Um, yeah, we're, we're big fans of those. And we saw the show in New York of um, Simone's work, which okay. was so incredible. Yeah. And I've been to Beirut and saw Etel's work, so it's going to be nice to see them together here. Yeah. Great. Um, the building itself, I, I was really struck every time I've been here how sort of minimal and beautiful the architecture is. And even sat here in the library, the, the seats we're sat on are these leather kind of, they're almost like handmade seats somehow. But who, who designed these? Do you know? Bellini. Marco Bellini. They're oh, really? cab chairs, aren't they? Oh, wow. I don't yeah. know these ones. I absolutely yeah, love them. They're nice. But I just see attention to detail. And even like when you walk in, there's kind of really beautiful wooden parquet floors. And the whole thing is such an amazing atmosphere. Well, yeah, a sculpture centre. We have to think about every every <laughs> object we bring into the space. Yes. So, yeah, a lot of sensitivity to, yeah, textures, layers, materials. It wouldn't be right in Henry Moore's name without that. I and don't even think. these amazing lights, which um, yep. are used on the on the desk when you're reading and stuff, but they they move in an amazing way. I love them. They're sculptures themselves. I love that you love them. Thank you very much, Lawrence. <laughs> this is so welcome. Incredible talking to you. Great to have you here. Let's head into the exhibition. Now. Yeah. So we are in the most uh, incredible archive that Lawrence was just telling us, and we are now here with the archivist general, uh, <laughs> Aaron Hussey. Hi, Aaron. How are you doing? Yeah, really good. Thanks. How are you? Very good. Thank you. So good. are you the archivist general? Is that your title? That is... Well, now that's official. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I manage the archive on my own here. So um, it's amazing to be responsible for this massive archive. So we've got 330 sculpture collections here. So we've been building up for over 30 years. So we've now got 330 collections that have been built up over those 30 years. So, Do you go out and find them or do people donate their collections to you? It's a real mixture of both. So over the 30 years, we've really built up a reputation of being the center for archives in sculpture so there's archives dotted around you may have heard of the tape um <laughs> but we like to say that we are the center for sculpture and we really take care of it and we we've kind of built up that reputation with artists as well so 
you may know that archives are generally quite old. So we do have, so it's a lot of artists realizing that they like this space and like how we do things and they want their their archives to be seen here. And it's a real mix. Um, I'll talk you through a few things, but we have full archives that are like 130 boxes of an artist and they've decided to donate basically their whole life's work here. And then we have little projects that artists have given throughout their career just so we can highlight them straight away. So they'll do a project and donate. Do you know off the top of your head any artists that you can think of that gave the whole of their archives? Yes. So we have the full Helen Chadwick archive, which is our... We can't say favourite. We, but we, we, it's yeah, jewel. it's a jewel it's a in jewel our crown. <laughs> so yeah, we're really lucky to have that. So that is the one that's kind of one of the biggest, 130 boxes, and it's just such a brilliant archive. She was an archivist's dream. Mm. She kept absolutely everything in such a great order. We've actually kept the original order, which we often do with artist archives, just so you can see how she was working through things. And actually, in the presentation you've got here for us today, there's actually yeah. a film, which I thought was really striking, um, yeah. from her archive. Yes. And it had this kind of bit in a sink at the beginning with a text that said domestic sanitization or san- Domestic sanitation. Domestic yeah. sanitation. It's actually been washed away now, which is why yeah. I couldn't remember it. But it actually really re- it made me think a bit of Sarah Lucas as well. It's really oh, interesting yeah. to think that Sarah was inspired by Helen's work. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, we've got a range of Helen's work from this was actually what she was doing in university. Um, which is incredible. So we get university students in all the time and we're like, look at this. (laughs) Um, So this was her final year in Brighton Polytechnic and she created all these different scenarios exploring the role of a woman in the home. So we've got a whole section here, which is like latex glamour rodeo, it's called. Mm -hmm. And then in a few minutes, you'll see it kind of goes on to talking about all different types of mattresses. So the women are embedded in the mattresses and... What you might not expect from an archive is it's not just paper and it's not just letters and drawings. We actually have all of the costumes <gasps> from this. That's cool. From all this that latex piece. costumes. How do you keep the latex yeah, okay? So, so that's not so great. Right. <laughs> so latex doesn't age very well. No. So um, we're kind of thinking of new ways to show it because it's so fragile. We can't really get it out for people. Right. But the other costumes are just amazing because unlike things in sculpture collections themselves we can get things out for people people can touch the material all the time and kind of just see all of that detail that she was doing because not only was she creating these performances but like if you come and look if you can move um, over to these shoes she created this whole shoe like all of this metal work all of this we can we can take a picture we will take a picture of that um and the women that she was using in it were walking on the all of these we have all of the costumes that you'll see in this book and the tools and to make them as well right? exactly right. third year of university and she's somehow welding is that even welding on metal onto this wooden shoe and the stitching and she was actually using a lot of human hair in it as well at the wow. time which does age well turns out all oh, right yeah that stayed pretty good <laughs> so if someone wanted to book a slot here can they just turn up and ask or is this the sort of thing where they have to like find a time with you guys yeah so because it's just me in the archive it's usually coming to me via email or via the website which is pretty easy to do we're open four days a week and it's really flexible and we can find a time for most people and it's good because people come with us with specific requests like this helen's very popular yeah. but if someone says Someone said colour and humour in sculpture, and I'm like, I will have a good go. <laughs> and we can get out so many different types That's of things. That's so cool. We've got um, over here yeah. is 
Anthony Gormley. You have a, a sketch here. You have some ephemera from what it looks like an exhibition and some clippings from the newspaper. Anthony Gormley's exciting for us because we want to go on a road trip and we're going to go and see Angel of the North next. That's what Amazing. we're doing. And what is this that you have in the archive on Anthony? Right. So archives not only kind of tell us the things that have happened and the drawings all alongside that, but they also can tell us what never came to be. So you've come into Leeds today. Mm -hmm. Presumably you did not see a hundred foot brick man standing near the train station. No. <laughs> so in 1988, Gormley entered and won a competition to create this massive sculpture. The Leeds Council wanted a massive sculpture to represent the sculpture history of the city and the industrial history. He won it, it got pretty far. There's pamphlets produced, the people of Leeds were asked what they thought about this. Um, we've actually got a maquette. So one of these press clippings is him standing next to his maquette and the council just could never make it happen. Why? Why not? Money, several other things that we all have, we have in the archive. So we've got all the kind of council records. We've got his drawings. Wow. It seems crazy now though, that he's so successful that it couldn't somehow be realized we, at a later date. I know. Even if he helped do it himself or something or, or yeah. held an auction or something. I'm not sure. If, we should try and help the campaign to make it happen. We should do that. That would be so Every cool. time I have people in, they're like, <laughs> shall we? Can we make it happen? But the and, thing is, you, you said about the competition for him then, is that mm -hmm. the Angel of the North was also a competition that he entered. Yes. And and that was for an industrial area in Gateshead because that was mm -hmm. built on a coal yard. So this there's like a real industrial drive for his work to represent that and certain areas in the northwest, right? Yeah, definitely. And this was a fair few years before Angel of the North. So we always think about like how history could have changed. Like if this was produced, would he have gone on and done Angel that? Oh, wow. So... Is it, yeah. Do you think it's quite sad for him knowing that this was never realised or you just, do you feel like... Because how did you end up with yeah. the drawing and everything then? Did he donate that? Um, so this was actually through... So the whole competition was done through this Holbeck Triangle Trust, which is the area it was meant to be in. And they those records were donated to us, kind of mm. with the idea of we need to have this legacy. And actually, the maquette is over at the art gallery. Oh, and it is? So the story is told quite a lot. Wow. In our little circle. Yeah, and, and some artists would say that is enough yeah. you know just yeah. to have it being spoken about yeah it's quite um cornelia parker yeah. or something yeah and these things happen all the time like before i worked here i didn't really know that kind of background like the amount of things we have in the archive that never came to be that's mm. like a whole story in itself it's also a good thing for younger artists to realize that even if you've won a competition it doesn't get realized the lessons you're learning are then transferable to later projects so yeah. it's kind of a a great uh, message. Definitely. <laughs> Wicked. Well, you thank you so it. much. Yeah, it's been such pleasure. a... Well, we're going to go to Angel of the North now. This is incredibly inspiring seeing this and knowing that that was the original kind of competition that he entered and that didn't get realised, but now we're going to go see the one that was realised. I know, it feels like we're going on a sculpture adventure around nature as well. <laughs> I can't wait to see all the greenery. Sculpture adventure in nature. Yorkshire thank greenery. You. Thank you so much, Erin. Yeah, this no has been problem. a real pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. Well, hello everyone. We are um, very close to Angel of the North right now. We've uh, been in the car for a couple of hours and it's very exciting, isn't it, Robert? Yeah, I'm loving it. I'm actually loving driving this all-electric iX. It's just, I don't know, I feel really like safe and happy in here. That's, that's an amazing feeling to have in a car. I know, hon. It is, isn't it? I feel exactly the same um, as, a with your, as a passenger, yeah. Hi. <laughs> so I'm going to give you some fun facts for Angel of the North. But before we do that, you've got the, the BMW app and you've been using that to get to the Angel of the North, right? Yeah, and the amazing thing was, if you put in the app 
you can link up the app to your calendar and then you put in the address of where you're going in your calendar it automatically is ready so when you get in the car it already said we were going to Angel of the North no, there's a sign for Angel of the North now oh there it is Angel of the North there we go Yay. right I'm going to give you some fun facts before we get to Angel of the North okay you ready here we go so uh, the Angel of the North was a competition that was set up by Gateshead Council they wanted to have a, a millennial image is what they were looking for and Anthony Gormley went in for the competition and obviously won because we have Angel of the North um, oh god we're going in oh my god I can see it ah! so it defines Gateshead it has the wingspan of 54 metres it's there. Oh my god! Oh my god! Isn't that amazing? Yeah, because sorry, I was driving, so I couldn't see. Oh my god, I love it. Yeah, it's a wingspan of fifty-four meters. It's twenty meters high, which is uh, four double-decker buses. It's the largest angel sculpture in the world. No, is it? Yeah, it contains enough steel to make sixteen double-decker buses. It weighs two hundred tons. Each of the wings are fifty tons each. <laughs> it's anchored twenty meters in the ground, so the same height as the body is anchored into the ground. They built it to last more than 100 years. It's already been here 20 years, and it doesn't seem to be going anywhere. And 330 million people see the angel every year. It is one of the most overexposed, not most overexposed, it's one of the most exposed sculptures in the world. It cost £800,000 to make, and the maquette, which sold at auction, one of the maquettes sold at auction for £3.4 million in 2011. Yeah, so it was, it's built on a coal site, so it's there to commemorate the industrial past of Gateshead and also its future. Wow, I, I'm so excited to get out now and see it. Um, I've only ever driven past it before, so I've never actually like stopped. And already it, it looks pretty incredible. Let, let's head out now. Let's go and take a look. I think to open the door, you just Bye. press this button. Oh, exciting. We are now walking towards the Angel of the North. And I'm immediately struck, you know, in real life, standing this close to it. It's completely different to how I imagined it. I've always wanted to see this. This is so wild. I've never, ever seen this. Me too. And it's really elegant, actually. And it's really beautifully constructed. It looks like it's in kind of panels of... Is it steel? Yeah, so there's enough steel here to make 16 double-decker buses. But it's, no it's, it's literally meant to be built as a focus of hope for the people of the northeast. As I said, the car is built on a coal site, and on this site here has been at least 300 years of colliers. They initially, when they built this, they were worried that it was going to distract drivers, so they were reluctant to build it, thinking it would be something that would maybe cause accidents. But actually, it's become a beacon of hope for the area and defining of Gateshead. And even today, when we're visiting now... There's a good sort of 30 people here. Um, even a couple just gave each other a kiss. It's very sweet. So it seems like... Oh, another couple just gave each other a kiss. It I'm not going to kiss be, you now. <laughs> thank God for that. God save me. But, yeah, so it seems like the kind of place that people come and walk wow, to wee, as well. This is so good. So we're stood underneath now looking wow. up. I love this so much. It's really weird. I, in my head, I thought it had, like, wooden pieces or something. Oh, it's because of, of the way that the sheets are all welded together. Yeah. It looks like it's got... Yeah. But it's not. It's all just steel. Oh, it's stunning. And it's a rusty kind of, you know, red. rust colour. It's like kind of a red, doesn't colour, it? yeah. And actually, a few people have even graffitied on it. <laughs> no, it's beautiful. So, well done, Antley Gormley. It's really defined um, the area. So. It feels quite heroic, and it also feels sort of um, superhero-y. A bit like, yeah. you know, this angel has well, it's flown like Superman down to protect us. in some us. ways, yeah. Yeah, I but love it, it. But isn't it amazing that there's, like... Not that many angel sculptures in the world. It's, it's like 
It's one, and it's the largest angel sculpture in the world. Feels like Statue of Liberty or Rio's Christ the Redeemer sort of vibe. And actually, there's a woman stood right now who's just um, flapping her arms, pretending she's a, a bird. She's an angel. Oh, she I love is. Her. You're she an, is angel. an angel. You're an angel. We love you. <laughs> she's ignoring you. She, didn't, she just smiled at Did me. Did she? Yeah, she loves me. You're an angel. <laughs> yes, she's like, yes, I'm an angel. I love her. Oh. oh. She oh, just said her. that's what her ex-husband calls her, Angel. Oh. What about her current <laughs> husband? <laughs> right. Um, this is a dream. This is it's a dream. also humongous. It's just huge. Well, yes, as, I've, like, just, as I've said, it I has know. a wingspan of 54 metres. It's 20 metres high. And below us, the same height that he is, is 20 metres, or they are, 20 metres below us is anchored into the ground. Wowzers. Yeah, because yeah, I guess of the wind and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God, it really does feel like we're in a superhero movie. Yeah. Or like in Jurassic Park or, or like Batman or something Batman. more gothic. It feels Ooh, like... Oh, you're so gothic, hun. Thanks, hun. You're such a gothic hun. <laughs> So we've actually come down to just uh, the direction where the angel's facing. If you go down the hill a bit, there's actually an area where people have left other angels and they've left notes to pets that have passed, friends, family members that have passed. I think because it's an angel, it sort of depicts, you know, heaven. Yeah, it feels like a kind of memorial site, a really loving, tender public space to sort of share your love and reflections about people you've lost. There's a beautiful picture over there of someone's mum and the two kids hugging their mum and the mum's passed away and there's even um, a bit like little cherubs and um, even kind of uh, books that are open with with kind of tributes to people's daughters they've lost you know mm. a bit like at a grave it's really side. really moving um, there's all oh, these little yeah. ones here these little oh. yeah there's an amazing one of someone's granddad who was a football player so he's got the um the football strip on. Yeah, kind of, Newcastle strip on. Yeah, the Newcastle strip yeah. on. Yeah. Um, and there's also someone who's lost their darling brother. So it's a really interesting thing that this has become a place for people to find solace and... Um, a memorial, isn't memorial, it? A, yeah, like a within nature as well. Yeah. And people are also um, attaching bunches of flowers. So I think people return here as well oh. to bring flowers in memorial of their loved ones. That's really beautiful. Yeah. Isn't that amazing what art can do, that it can kind of give people a place of comfort? Totally. And I'm sure and that was unexpected when this was being built. Also to kind of give strength to the community, a place for everyone to congregate. There's even a beautiful little fabric piece. It looks like someone's knitted... Um, a little blanket. A little blanket, and it's got the letter C on it. Wow. So even that, it's just a gorgeous, gorgeous thing. Wow. So, Rob, we are en route to Edinburgh now. We have done Angel of the North. That was incredible in Gateshead. And we have put into the app Jupiter Artland, which we found in the BMW Art Guide. It's almost like pocket-sized. You can kind of take it with you. And um, it was originally founded by independent collectors who are a great organisation um, set up by Christian Schwarm. And it reveals and kind of helps introduce us all to private collections around the world. I think it's in 50 countries and there's 300 collections so far and they're often off the beaten track so it's perfect for us today in the electric car driving up to Scotland. We're currently just past Alnwick and we're surrounded by glorious countryside. I'm loving it. So the Independent Collectors is a platform that was set up by collectors for collectors. That's right. Well, that, that's why it appeals to us. Yes, collectors, for collectors. <laughs> These are, as Rob just said, 
their private collections and the collectors have decided to make them public, which is a real act of generosity because how often do you get to see private collections? They're normally behind closed doors or in vaults and this is all for the public to see. That's right, and I think our friendship has always been um, based on sort of making journeys. We always called it an art adventure and I think travel and art have always been really closely aligned. Like if you think back to the Grand Tour or to like even Turner, you know, he travelled to Margate and all over the place. Where else did he go? He went to Wakefield. Oh, yeah, Wakefield. He went to Cornwall to, maybe. I mean, he went to Venice, I mean, yeah. didn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think in, in historic times, a lot of artists used to travel miles and miles and miles to meet meet their patrons and to do their portraits and things like that. So there's been this wonderful kind of um, history of art and travel. And I think Hedwig um, Solis Weinstein from BMW actually says that this guide is a bit like the Lonely Planet, um, you know, for art and for kind of private collections. And I love the idea of of um, getting access to these collections that used to be private, but they're actually opening the doors to share their art with more people. So it's very much along the lines of kind of accessibility and um, sharing, really. And the best bit is, if you're listening to this podcast, you can actually sign up. We have 100 uh, free copies that BMW will share with you. And we're going to have the link to the website in our episode notes. And it's really easy. You can sign up. And you might even be able to get a test drive. I'm not sure. But um, well, you, and they can go on the same road trip that we've gone on. Exactly. You should try out the electric cars because they're amazing. I'm you, loving this iX. You too can join our electric art adventure with the BMW Art Guide by Independent Collectors. How exciting is that? Big time. And we're about to discover a major private collection now, which is uh, Jupiter Artland. I can't wait. Rob, we're stuck in traffic now. I'm 15 minutes away. How have you found this journey? dream i've really found it incredibly um relaxing actually and really easy like a the electric cars i forgot how the acceleration is so quick so you can get to speed like really fast and they feel really solid and safe and i don't know really smooth and i'm really excited by the sound as well every time i accelerate it goes like and i feel like i'm in some like hans zimmer exciting movie or something i love it yeah i agree i like that sound as well i have really enjoyed using the app i have suffered and do suffer with range anxiety it is a real thing there are many times i've got in the car and i'm panicked because i've not got enough uh, electricity on the charge and i don't know where the points are but this app is so clear and you put the destination in and it tells you where to charge and this whole thing about topping up not just having a full tank of electricity you just do little mini top-ups on the way it's really clever so anybody who's listening now can follow this journey and they can shake off that range anxiety and enjoy it but we're going to talk to you in a minute when we get into the grounds of Jupiter Artland because that's our final destination and this has been a total joy so thank you BMW and what do you want to say we still have 200 miles so the topping up thing really worked like we added about 100 miles and it only took about 20 minutes it was really quick brown sign what? It's there on the brown sign. Oh, yeah. Jupiter Artland open yeah. May to September. Uh, we're going to pull in now. This is all very exciting. Turning right. <laughs> you love turning right, don't you? To the estate. Do you prefer right or left? I made one wrong turn in the whole trip, okay? So don't you tell me that I like turning right. <laughs> right. Right. Anyway, so, yeah, we're waiting at lights to go into Jupiter Artland, but we're going to talk you through what you'll see when you turn up here, when you follow our trail. In a way, it's a, it's a sculpture trail. 
because all the places we've been today are connected to sculpture very integrally. Oh, I like that gate. So the gate looks like there's a load of Sputniks or sea urchins on the front with nails. What is that? Do you know what that is? I wonder if we have to... Maybe this isn't the entrance because... I'm just going to jump out and ring the bell. Hang on. But it looks quite tight in there, doesn't it? Can you get a car through there? Mm. Well, this must be the pedestrian entrance. Maybe. One. It's opening, it's opening. It's opening. Um, yeah, the gates were designed by Nikki Wilson and her architect, and they're beautiful, and we're now going into the park. Right, Rob? Yeah. Actually, the gates remind me of kind of, um, you know, like German kind of contemporary art back maybe in the 50s or something, you know, with the kind of nails on it. It's really yeah, like Sputnik. Yeah, love it. So we're now going in. We're going through this really uh, feels like Alice in Wonderland uh, bushes and this big path. Five, five mile. miles per hour. Woo! I'm so excited. <laughs> Me too. But this is uh, so. There's a long pathway going into the actual park. Do we? Can you see our either side from here we're or not? We're at the box office now. Oh, we're at the box office. And there are entry prices, so it is actually. It's yeah. Admission price yeah. Some people get them free, I think. Well, they they want kids to get in for free, so every every child in Scotland gets the opportunity to come here for free. That's part of an initiative that's uh, been set up by Jibs Rockland, by Nikki and Robert Wilson. Um, God, this is a long path. It's amazing, isn't it? And actually, surrounding us are kind of like forests, and within those forests, there's a big kind of walk, like a trail that you can do, and you discover commissioned artworks which are permanent. Um, public sculptures so there's all kinds of incredible stories to be told within these forests and it's a wonderful adventure that was, I've um, just seen Phil de Barlow's. oh yeah that's Phil de Barlow's there oh yes woo Philida rest in peace we love you Philida and now it says caution deep water what? and we're about to walk through it's a bit like being at Jurassic Park or something this is amazing this is so guys Jinx. Oh, is this Charles? Charles Jenks. He was a landscape uh, kind oh. of land art artist, oh and he's known for these rolling hills. They're so incredible. And actually, we did come here a few years ago together, right at the beginning of the podcast. And it's so funny to think how far we've come from that those early days. This um, is amazing. I completely forgot how brilliant bridge. it is. Look, there's a bridge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And oh, this is bit, so it's cool. It's a bit like being in Alice in Wonderland or something. Everything feels really like giant. Somehow, that yeah, the, way the that proportions are really yeah. like playing with you, yeah. And even the bridge there—it's like this kind of fantastical red sculptural bridge. There's sheep as well, Rob. Seems three sheep there on the left. Oh, what are their names? Robert, Russell, and Judith, <laughs> <laughs> and Carol. Our mums—we love them. And what's that there? Look, Jupiter. Oh, it's actually pointing to Jupiter, the planet, because we're going to find out why it's called Jupiter Artland with uh, Nikki herself, because um, it's quite a, a fascinating name, isn't it? Yeah, Jupiter Artland. Even that sounds quite magical and um, fantastical. I love it. There's more sheep. Who are these ones? Oh, I mean, there's a lot too many to name now. Okay, there's about fifty. Fifty. Oh, we can see the manor house as well. Woo! Like kind of sort of like an Italian pink or something. Right. Beautiful. All right, well, guys, this is very exciting. We're going to go and settle in now, check in, and then we will talk to you in a minute when we're talking to Nikki Wilson. But uh, thank you for sticking with us. You can tell how overly excited we are by the whole adventure. There's a flag flying. There's a flag flying, guys. It's so like an artistic flag, like an art. There flag. we go. There's an artistic flag flying, guys. <laughs> so you can see how overexcited we are. But we'll talk to you in a bit. Keep off the grass. So we are here in Edinburgh and we are at the most amazing 
uh, venue of Jupiter Artland. And um, every time I've been here, this is probably my fifth trip here, it's so healing as well. There's something about being within nature with all these beautiful trees and beautiful flowers. There's so many wild flowers here and beautiful colours alongside these... Art. Yeah, like mm. public art. Mm. And we saw Carl Friedman just now and he said to me... Um, Phila de Barlow's work that's here it's a giant public sculpture like permanent installation he thinks it's one of the most successful sculptures he's ever seen in the public realm which I thought was he was really blown away by it I didn't even know he was into Philida so it's so interesting how how it can sort of interact with with you know with people having it within nature like that yeah well we're here with someone very very special who's a a friend of us both uh, an amazing woman who is the director uh, owner what else? Founder, Founder. <laughs> uh, curator, curator, um, facilitator. Yeah. In my opinion, Nikki and Robert, who we're about to meet, are pretty much the greatest philanthropists in the UK. And I don't say that lightly. I really mean it because the way they help artists to realise their dreams, big dreams, you know, like doing making public sculptures or, you know, pub, uh, sculptures within the land is yes. a really complicated, you know, thing to organise, even just to, you know, go from drawings into something yes. that's so huge. And just, I just think the work they're doing is second to none. And I'm so proud to be welcoming her to our podcast now. So we would like to welcome Nikki, Nikki Wilson. Thank you. Hi, oh, Nikki. It's lovely to have you here. Oh, it really so is very happy. special. Oh. Well, thank you so much for having us. And we're actually here to celebrate the opening of Lindsay Mendick's new show. Shit-faced. Yeah, shit-faced. <laughs> did you, did you come up title. with that title or was that Lindsay? <laughs> it was Lindsay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it has an asterisk on the eye. Oh, yeah, I know. Uh, yes. It's like Just, censored. <laughs> it's a tiny bit censored. Um, how, do you, how are you feeling on the eve of that opening to the public? I, I think it's going to be a really interesting show, especially the fact that Lindsay has um, so much humour and honesty within her work. Mm. But actually, it's talking about a subject that's close to pretty much every human being and uh, in the UK, binge drinking mm. and what it does to you. She manages to pull the show off without f- pointing a finger, assigning blame, making it very clear that this is about her and her shame the next day. But... Along that path that you, and journey you go with her, you sort of find that you are looking at your own relationship with alcohol. And we're finding very quickly that people are confessing what they've done. And, you know, I think almost every human being on the British Isles has had a, something with alcohol at some point that uh, they probably have locked or stored away in their brain and want to forget about. So it's a, it, this is going to bring a lot up in people, but it's a brave courageous funny hilarious show but yeah. uh, you know a deep ember you know i'm breathing deeply because i'm you know that we're already getting great reviews it's now about what you know happens with the public and how that and, and i also want to protect Lindsay because people are confessing to her it's quite an interesting thing to be watching that she's become the mother Teresa of confession of bad, bad behavior yeah, just in a, a lot, day a really a lot for on, her. Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah on an empathy level yeah. so this was a, a sculptural commission you you enable these commissions to happen do yes. you go out to artists or do artists come to you we go out to artists and we follow and it has been very organic. We met. I met Lindsay last year. Watched. Have been watching her work for a while, and actually, it was almost this time last year that we we met. We got on very well. We 
got shit-faced together and then we <laughs> ended up having a good chat and uh, you know her work is phenomenal it's it's developing with every show she's very very busy but uh, what I like is that she's got the humor and kindness and courageousness that actually you know you can bring so much to Jupiter and we need to be tackling this kind of um well I, I don't want this just to be a beautiful sculptures and landscape. There's there's thorny issues at the heart of almost every work here and Lindsay fits in perfectly with that. And actually her show, um the thing that struck me most was this idea of shame and um shame mm. particularly for women, you mm-hmm. know, the morning after being drunk. Yeah. And I you know, I don't really drink that much. So for me it, uh, you know, it's just really fascinating to learn about this. And I'm a man. Beer, um, beer fear. Yeah, but I, it was really interesting. And about, anxiety. And anxiety, yeah. And um, the kind of shame spiral, I think the film is called. But... Yeah, the film, a f- phenomenal film. Yeah. Uh, very confessional. Um, but it, the shame spiral is is really giving everybody pause for thought. When I went to bed last night, having seen the film for the first time, and we we looked at each other and went, maybe we should give up drink. <laughs> you know, but it was not because it was blame. Mm. It was just actually just... Uh, looking at ourselves and thinking, oh, yeah, you know, our memories are stitched together and maybe it's not serving us well. But who cares? This is not about suggesting or pointing fingers, making um, judgments about alcohol, because some of the best moments in people's lives have been brought through alcohol and, you know, tender moments. A lot of, most couples haven't, most babies have been conceived with alcohol. You know, I mean, it is, you know, it is a a productive and positive thing in many ways. It's, uh, there isn't another show I can think of that's actually talked about this. No, I agree. And, and, you know, when you look at it, they're all kind of disappeared, very old shows, can't really find much text about it. So I think we're, we're, she's brave, courageous and hilarious as well humor is a great way of dealing with this brilliant what art can do yeah you lie in bed and you go hmm maybe we should change maybe we should do something different with our lives that's what great art is and this site is full of great artworks how did that come about and also jupiter artland the name jupiter (laughs) What's yeah, so I've struggled with the name Jupiter Artland because it is the you know the god of fun and parties and um, it, it is it is about having a great time Jupiter, but it's also the planet and the planet is the nearest planet to us and it has a dot in the middle of it which has got a sort of seismic storm that's always there, and I think that for me that rather than sort of dwelling on the god of kind of partying and uh, and creativity is actually that analogy of a storm in the middle of something very beautiful which is always changing always thinking you know you know looking at the world being i hope a bit subversive but always being beautiful at the same time so because access to art and being able to engage people especially young people in art you know you you, you need a way for, forward and way in nature is a wonderful way of doing that i prefer to think about the planet rather than the the god and actually when we drove in we saw an artwork uh, i assume it's an artwork which is like an arrow up to the sky which says yes. jupiter in it and it says the amount of miles yes the 30 13 million miles yeah. yes no i love that too that's a that's peter liversidge work. i was gonna say i thought it yes was gonna, very yeah. peter yeah. yeah he's done a lot of works he did a lot of proposals and many of them we have uh, fulfilled but and one uh, you did with him was during the um pandemic yes um in the covid crisis for the nhs yes the thousand thank yous so we we painted a thousand thank yous 
It was, and and then put put them all on the gates. In fact, we were very lucky. Jupiter was open pretty much all the way through the pandemic, wow. which was lovely because the, as you say, it's a very healing place. And and in those times, you know, you could see people walking around and really taking in the artwork. It wasn't, you know, all about the chocolate cake at the cafe and the shop. It was really really connecting with art and needing that in their souls and their hearts. And this chocolate cake is good though, is it? Oh, it's absolutely delicious. Fantastic. <laughs> so there's a hundred acres of meadow and, and woodland here and there is an indoor gallery space. Yeah. And at the minute you have 36 permanent, is it all? Yes, more? so they come and go. So we've oh, got 36, 36 permanent. So there's another thing that's at my, the heart of my um, and Robert's belief is that, you know, a great art is like wine. Landscape will surround it, it will yield to it, and then it will change the artwork in some ways. So instead of being a gallery that changes regularly, we do have gallery space, we are allowing time and really giving that luxury of time to artwork. So the Villa de Barlow feels very different to when it was first installed. The trees are enclosing it, they're kind of enrobing it in a way. And that's nature taking its course. Tracy Emmons, uh, I I lie here waiting for you. It's slowly being taken over by nature. We prudently care for it so that it isn't completely subsumed. But the work changes. And so it's like a fine wine. It's not a quick, you know, it's here and gone. Mm. We we invest for a long term. But we also have a lot of good t- short-term commissions, and that's where we're supporting our young artists and really allowing them to create work that, where they wouldn't be normally be able to do. So we've got a rising residency, and that means that we we get wonderful young artists that come through and can do short shows and then come back often to do bigger commissions later amazing and actually tracy's sculpture the giant um bronze that's lying in the in the forest it's actually in our new talk art book isn't it, it is. the photo of it's it, a yeah. beautiful um, it's such sculpture. a beautiful oh. work and i know that she actually walked around the site apparently and you you said to her just walk around and find somewhere that you want the sculpture to go yeah and it's i, I loved that that kind of openness you have it's like an open invitation well i think the whole point about being with artists is that they have complete autonomy. And to make Jupiter different from any other sculpture park is that we do completely invest in them doing something that they probably wouldn't normally do. So it's, in in terms of... um, Philida, for instance, I mean, she hadn't done anything in, in with trees and she'd never taken into account a broken beech tree and she'd never, and she wasn't really very comfortable. In fact, Philida refused, said no originally and then we went back to her and said please Uh, and she'd said yeah okay I'm I'm now ready to do something big outside and it is an astonishing work because she has managed to make a a piece that actually takes on these 200 year old beech trees and sits so beautifully there bringing the Philida mark of her hand um, and the pink and the yellow. It's a very beautiful piece. It makes me want to cry every time I look at it. Though. And actually, one of the things really when I first came okay. here that blew me away was the amount of women artists in the collection as well and the kind of dedication to preserving um, artists' work, such as um, Helen Chadwick's um, Well, piss a lot flowers. of them taught me. So, oh, did so they? Philida taught me, Cornelia Puaka taught me, Laura Ford taught me, um, Helen Chadwick taught me. I mean, I bow at their 
yeah, at their knees. I'm, I am very, very influenced by these very, very strong women. This and was at Camberwell and Camberwell Chelsea. Camberwell right? and then at Chelsea. Wow. So we were, I was very privileged. And they were very, really invested teachers. I and mean, all of them were well known for being brilliant teachers. You know, they, they that was, you know, Helen Chadwick. She was phenomenal, to, you know, inspiring and being absolutely uncompromising, expecting the very best from you and giving me advice saying, you know, that's a great work, but it's just not going to ever be great unless you get it right in terms of how you deliver it. And she would go right down to, you know, that frame is not good enough. That sound isn't. She was really demanding, but phenomenal teacher. And Cornelia Parker, you know, she's, you know, just, I don't think she does so much teaching now, but she was one of the 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 women that just sort of showed materials in a uh, exploded shed, mm. you know, it was just mind blowing when we were in Camberwell. I also love your Anya Glaccio installation, yes, um, which is really soulful work actually because it's with crystals. And can you speak a bit about how that came to be? Because that's a very singular piece here. I think. Yeah, um, Anya is a, f- a wonderful artist and human being, and I'm very very fond of her. She came to live with us almost for three months while she made the work, which so my children, are, she's embedded in their psyche, um, and Auntie she's Anya. a no really literally Auntie Anya. She really just got to understand the landscape in a way that I think quite a lot of other people miss. You know, she's artists automatically understand geomancy. They automatically understand power of of earth and nature they see form and function throughout uh, a scrappy landscape she was very intuitive about that um and so she brought together you know obsidian from santa fe and amethyst from south america and built it on a ley line that goes straight through our dining room and you know she took on all the drainage and i mean it was the most enormous project ever but it was it's a it's a very powerful one, and we have a lot of people who come and for healing there. Really? They stand in the yeah, and a lot of people come and take time. They ask to have quiet time in the middle of it because it is later. properly. That's quite interesting though. Because we went to healing. the Anthony Gormley Angel of the North, and we yeah. found that has become a kind of a site for people to remember the lost ones and this idea of the angel and the protecting angel. So people leave mementos of their lost ones. So I find it really interesting when public artworks like that can take on an, like a really and um, start belonging to the people yeah. and mm. feel and and that they and because it wasn't conceived as a healing chamber and I, I would say that Anya would be going hmm, about that but you know she's it, it is absolutely true that you know we get people who are suffering from cancer coming and wanting to be on their own and um, feeling the force well if you imagine there's I mean, I think we, there was a world shortage of amethyst at one point while we were building that work, that piece, because there's so much amethyst in the walls. It is a stunning work. And, a, a, and you know, amethyst is a powerfully healing uh, mineral. Semi-precious stone. Semi-precious stone. How do people get into Jupiter Artland? Can they just turn up in their cars? Do they have to pre-book? It's lovely if you pre-book, but you can turn up in your car. We prefer you to come by bus. We've got a bus stop just by the the gate, and people who um, do that automatically get a a big discount so that we're trying to improve the green green scheme. Um, And we are slightly out of Edinburgh, so it is a bit of a trek in terms of the bus, but unbelievably, we have two bus stops right at our gate. And then you just turn up and enjoy it. And just the walk to the the cafe is, is you're going through landforms, you're passing Pablo Bronstein, you're passing 
Tracy, Anya, Christian Boltanski. I mean, really wonderful artists. And Charles Jenks, the amazing land And art. Charles Jenks, I love that, the land piece. form. Yeah. And that's where it started, really, was with Charles picking up the phone. Charles Jenks and Andy Goldsworthy were the two artists that were the ones that were humble enough to be in the yellow pages, if you remember <laughs> them, and also just pick up the phone when somebody phoned them on the landline and go, yeah, I'll come round to see you. And that's what he did. And that's how that started. No way. I know. Really yeah. great. Jenks has described you as a midwife to sculptural commissions, which <laughs> I absolutely love. I love that too, actually. <laughs> um, is there an entry fee for people to come in? Is yeah, there, there is. days where there's... Uh, we have, um, uh, well, we have pay what you want days. We have very good um, discounts for students. We have art passes. We try and make it as accessible as possible. And then the other way in which we make it accessible is we have a huge learning program where it's all free, obviously. We never charge for the learning for schools. So we, we and we have thousands of young people every year come through which is sort of leads me on to my our lovely mantra, which is every child in Scotland. I really, in a rather grandiose way, feel that if every child in Scotland has had an idea that Jupiter's here, that art is magic, that art is something that, that can transform, that there is in the middle of, you know, West Lothian, which is used to be a mining area, has a lot of new de development, isn't particularly beautiful, something that's a gem that's theirs, then... Um, we're doing our job and we're, we, I mean, you, uh, you may, uh, not today because it's Saturday, but the, the schools are normally here. Uh, we have whole school days where everybody comes. Sorry, what's it like? Because you live on the site, so you, li you ha live in a house here on the site. What's it like having like a public space where you're actually having a private residence on? Um, it's... Well, it's changed because right at the beginning it was fine. There was we only had a few people come, and now we have a lot more. And I, uh, the relationship is different in that um, we defend our privacy a little bit, uh, just in that we we now have a, a little map that says our front garden's probably not for public use. But you know, people end up in my kitchen all the time, going, <laughs> "I've got lost." You know, where where's where are the loos? <laughs> It's hilarious. So, I mean, it happens all the time. My dogs are far too friendly. <laughs> like, yeah, we met your dogs yesterday. Four they dogs, greeted you'd us. think that most yes. people would be put off, but in. no. It's, <laughs> um, it's working fine at the moment, and it should be about generosity. So, you know, I'm not going to go and say, I don't, you know, nobody wants to say we don't want the public near us. We just need a bit of privacy when we're having rows. We don't want everybody <laughs> to hear us screaming at each other. So your mission for every child in Scotland yeah. to be able to visit Jupiter Artland, I, I feel like that says so much about the way you see the world and the way that you think education, as we do, particularly with the arts, is vital. Um, can you speak a bit about your own childhood? Because I know you grew up in Edinburgh, um, in mm -hmm. Scotland yourself. Mm -hmm. And then you became an artist and you sort of, you know, were drawn to that that side of um, creativity. Well, I mean, I probably you know my story is probably very similar to lots of other people. I went to art college, but my father said I couldn't go to art college unless I got enough hires to be a lawyer. And when I got that, he said I could go to art college. I don't know what that was, but, you know, he just wanted, I don't know. Something to fall back yeah, on. <laughs> yeah, something to fall back on. Uh, and I remember him waving me goodbye to on Waverley Station and arriving in Camberwell, which was like a different world. I mean, a completely different world. You know, Edinburgh's so tiny and in, that, in those days very, very parochial. 
And Camberwell was where I did my foundation and my degree. And then I went on to Chelsea for my postgrad and then on to British School at Rome for a year where I was the, a, a sculptor scholar there. Uh, so my education was very good in art. I mean, I had brilliant teachers, as I mentioned. But I think I was very lucky that I had a very happy childhood. And, you know, one of four, my mother sort of painted flowers and, you know, they, there was no artists in our family. But um, once I went to London, the sort of, the plaster was ripped off and we had a, I had a great time. <laughs> <laughs> and do you, do you think that that foundation of like, art education and your the way you you experienced it as an artist has impacted the way that you commission and uh, facilitate well, and kind of platform well, artists what now. I do think happened with me was that I had great teachers that and some disruptive teachers that were anarchists mm. that really shouldn't have been teaching probably that were sort of going let's go to Greenman Common and things like that which absolutely lit a fire in me and so at, at, I at that point realized the power of being inspired by another powerful woman you know and I, and I went off to art college sort of already kind of lit in understanding that, you know, you can say something, you could be an activist, you can... So, you know, the the the, um, the riots in London, I mean, you know, the, as an art student, we were always out, you know, campaigning when, you know, paint it black when they all the art colleges were put into one. You know, we were pains in the neck to the authorities. Mm. And, and that was it. So activism started at school and then carried on during art college. And then, you know, you, you, you sort of have, you know, I, I didn't have any money. So I went into advertising. I worked in advertising for a few years. Um, and that was a, a bit of a left of field thing because I wanted to earn some money, <laughs> but it didn't really work. I was very bad at it. <laughs> you were in the uh, BMW Art Guide, which is a big celebration yeah. of private collections that are public. Is that a good thing for you? And what are the ambitions for you going forward? So are you already looking at new artist commissions? Yes. To, you are. Yeah, no, we're looking at new artist commissions all the time. And I think the conversation about public, um, private collections being made open to the public is an interesting one. I think that, you know, we don't get any public funding. And um, I think that's absolutely right. I'm never going to ask Creative Scotland for money because if we can be balanced in our budgets then and we can still commission and support young artists i don't think we should be drawing down from the state there's better money areas for mm. money to be used in so i i think this the bmw guide is great that it's encouraging the private collections to open up and do a public service yeah. and that and that's good, you know i mean that but people are putting their monies where their mouths are you know and i think that's going to be a great thing and America's well ahead of uh, yes. uh, in the UK you know there, there aren't so many people who are doing what we're doing and so it always it feels very complicated because people just look at us and think we're mad but um, now that we, we we are always working on commissions and because we're going outside our borders, so we're doing the Jupiter Plus thing, which is um, a project that takes a, a commission that's made in Jupiter and then is taken across the country. We're doing Rachel McLean at the moment, which was in Perth. We're rebuilding it in air. It, we have a, a, an education program that is um, around that. So every school in the county comes. And then we have a mentoring program for all the young people who are thinking of going into creative industries. Uh, which is terribly needed at the moment. Uh, we've got that 
always ongoing. So that's one project. And then we have the ongoing projects of um, sort of commissions that are, happen every year at some point. Um, so every year you have a new commission? Mm, we do. Can you say who any of the upcoming artists are, or is it always top secret until it's announced? Well, it's top secret and slightly disorganised. <laughs> <laughs> so I wouldn't. It's uh, it's uh, there are ones coming up, but they they you know there's a jiggling around of artists and their diaries and what happens in life. And over the last few years, everybody's felt differently. You know, they've been uh, so uh, it's not completely. We've always been a bit quicker than other people. The great thing about Jupiter is, and I think people who come from institutions that work at Jupiter really find very difficult is that we are incredibly fast. So we will spin on a, a penny and be very quick about what we do. And that's a wonderful thing about not being in a public arena that we have to go through a whole load of protocol. We do it fast. Yeah, and you so, can be spontaneous. Very you can spontaneous. react, which actually is what contemporary art needs. Well, it, it does need it. It's belief. really hard. Yeah, yeah. If, yeah. You're, if you're an organisation where you've got to go through your audit committees, it's really tough. Yeah. So, And your commitment in going forwards, I've heard that you want to take Jupiter Plus even further, like nationwide, yes. um, to kind of help education, you know, go across the country. I think that's such an amazing um, yes. sort of adventure to So come. it's not just Scotland. Yeah. I'm very, you know, I, I we live in the United Kingdom yeah. and... Um, um, you know, whatever happens politically in Scotland, and we might have another referendum, we might not. Mm. Um, we uh, Scotland needs to be carrying on being as creative. I mean, we've got a phenomenal diaspora from Scotland. We punch well above our weight. Yes. You know, the, the Venice Biennale exhibitions are always f extraordinary. And we normally, uh, there are normally a lot of Scots artists in the, you know, the Tate and the Turner. And in music as well. And I think in music. All, all I mean, we really do punch... Yeah. Uh, for a five million population, so it's it, it is important that we we keep driving that creativity, and if you go back to what yet is happening with young people at the moment, going to university or art college, the, the actual humanities and creative subjects, the applications have dropped dramatically by about 17% in some cases. This means that people are not going into being creative. We need to. Uh, the the next generation need to know for us to be safe as old people that when we've got creative people looking after us and deciding and making big decisions about our world that they you know that there are creatives in there and that they think differently and that they can question the AI people and that you know there's a there's a, a that creative sense of um, justice and interest going through happens in the world around us so i know it's a big kind of airy fairy thing but it my my interest always goes back to if you can inspire somebody yeah. they will eventually make the right choices and they're going to be making them on our behalf very soon i think you are inspiring people on all levels and i think hopefully people see you in the art guide you have private collections that will consider making them public and see yeah that's be possible great. All right, so our final questions for you nikki and then you can <laughs> escape um is if you could do an art heist you could have any work of art in the world for yourself. You can steal it nicely. We will help you. What would that be and why? Because you are a collector like you are a, <laughs> an addicted collector like myself. 
It's an imaginary art heist. Yeah. You won't break the law, don't worry. No, no, no. <laughs> Do you know, I'd go back to it. I mean, it, the bottom line is that for me, the most restful thing I can do is look at an, uh, a painting. My eyes travel over it and they make my eyes shine. That's inspiration. You know, and I think that I, where I, re I remember being taught about Botticelli and the birth of Venus. Mm. And I remember just looking at the way he painted the flowers. And I went to the Uffizi and it was empty last July and we were the only people in the Uffizi and I spent time on my own with that painting and I thought oh god I mean I surely I should be more creative than birth of flipping Venus you know but it's a phenomenal painting mm -hmm. and you could live the rest of your life looking at it and just the detail the in intention the it, it really is an extraordinary exquisite thing so Do you take yourself off here sometimes on your own and just go and look at the art and enjoy your yeah. own I do, actually. And I particularly go and sit and look at the Christian Boltanski. It makes me feel very sad that he, but he passed. And the, the Boltanski with the bells is actually the moment, the star sign of the moment he was born. So it makes me feel very connected because that, uh, and it's also about mourning somebody, all those little bells. And the Phila de Barlow. I love being, just putting my hand where her hand was oh. and going, because she was such a marvellous person. She was. Yeah, inspirational. And a fun fact, Lindsay Mendick's art heist was the same. No. Yeah, and it's actually in our new book. No, Yeah, we reprinted really? that image, yeah. Oh, and she's oh, really inspired so by it. And I wouldn't be surprised if one day she makes a work related to it. I've got a feeling it's within her, that yeah. kind of... Um, oh, oh, I yeah, think... Yeah, because her, her strong yes. connection to it, she really feels a connection. She talks about it all the time. The other question we ask every guest is, what is your favourite colour? Which is a good one to ask here, because the nature you're surrounded by and the gardens and the wildflowers, they're just spectacular. Yeah, I, and I do like colour because I painted my house orange. Yes. So it's quite, I, I, <laughs> I, I've tried to be minimal and I've tried to be cool and calm and get into the grey world, but no, it doesn't work. It? It's yeah. really difficult. Yeah. My favourite colour at the moment, I mean, I've been brave. I've painted this tutti frutti, orangey, peachy pink. It's not the trendy one that's in all the home bases. <laughs> it's it's slightly it's slightly tangtastic, and I quite like that. <laughs> and that, yeah. so that's my favourite colour today. Love that. What's well, yeah. the best advice you've ever received when it comes to being a collector and also for Jupiter Artland? Spend all the money you have on art. Literally, I think you should. It, it, it is a great thing to do, and just. Enjoy it. Live with it. Have it in your bedroom. Adore it. Don't expect it to pay you back. Don't do it for the money. Surround yourself in beauty because it, you have only got one life on this planet. And, you you know, enriching your life and your soul and your, your eyes seeing wonderful things that make you think in new dimensions can only do great things to yourself. So for me, you know, I want my children to spend their money on art. I want to, them to support artists. I want them to be artists if they can at some point in their lives. And I think that, you know, the more art you have, the better. I mean, and that's and it doesn't have to be expensive. I'm obsessed with that. We're, we're, we're both like, <laughs> yes. we're both like, yeah, we'll do this. Spend all your money. Penny. It's yeah. already kind of what we're doing. I it's know. really dangerous. And when it comes to Jupiter Artland, what's the best advice you've received from people when you were setting this up as a, a public collection? And it was from Charles Jenks, who basically said, "Don't ever make a sculpture park." <laughs> and I and I, and he said they're just so boring. And I agree with him and I, this is not a sculpture park. It's not a sculpture garden. He called it an art land, which is a bit mad. But I 
I get why he wanted to call it. He, it was his idea, the Artland thing, because he said, you know, sculpture parks are flat and a little bit dead, and you know, you, the the positioning of the work hasn't been tantamount the most important thing you can do here. We spend days, weeks thinking about where the art can go, where that tree is, what the ley lines are doing underneath it, the geomancy. That's that. What's that's geomancy? A, you said that earlier. That it's is... the it's a kind of earth energy. Oh, love. Oh no, it's pretty. It's like all Glastonbury and all that kind of stuff. It's very. There's a lot of it around here. I know, but it's a real thing. Whenever oh, no, we, no, it's whenever, a real we, thing. whenever I've come here, I'm always thinking like about geomancy. Yeah, well, I'm surprised it's Robert. Constantly on my mind. I'm surprised um, Robert hasn't got you out there with the dowsing rods. Oh, I'm going to do. He, we he do does dowsing. He teaches as well. Teaches dowsing. I've, I've got a back remedy made for me because that's, I know. that's yeah because Robert's family um have bark remedies, bark and remedies rescue so, remedy. Yeah, yeah rescue yeah. remedy, which has been a me this morning. It was magic. It's a oh, big I support hope it in works. my life yeah. as well. I've already done a couple of drops on my tongue, so really? yeah, I'm feeling great. <laughs> well, <laughs> all your problems are solved. <laughs> thank you for your generosity and thank you for sharing um, your vision of what art, the possibility of what art can be, mm. because I really do feel that art can create a better world and empower people to improve themselves and to learn and to be passionate and to just expand and help others. And this is just the most amazing place. So if you haven't been here, please make the trip this summer. It's so easy to get here. We drove an electric car. Excellent. You know, you can come by on the train, you yeah. can come by bus, you can walk, you know, from the gates, which also are beautiful. And you helped design those, I heard. Yeah. With those kind of like... Yeah, they're amazing. We love the gate. Yeah. Um, So just please make the trip because, you know, life's short and we need to, we need to be inspired, you know, and to live and actually experience things. And now COVID's over and all, you know, we're free to travel. We are. And I think this is a great place to come to. So Nikki Wilson, thank you for your generosity. Thank you too. You are lovely guests. And thank you for doing this because this makes art accessible to everyone. And that's (laughs) what it's all about. Cool. Thank you. Well, this has been the most amazing trip. Yep. Jupiter got- Artland is on Instagram at Jupiter Artland. Yep. Very good. Uh, follow us on at Talk Art and you can see all images of today. BMW Group Culture, BMW UK, follow those. And um, also we're going to be interviewing Lindsay Mendick as a separate episode, which will come out the same week as this episode. So look forward to that because <laughs> we're going to get into the mind of the icon that is Lindsay Mendick. Um, <laughs> okay. And her, her exhibition Shitface runs until September. Yeah, no, end of September. Yeah. End of September. Yeah. And um, it's on all summer and there'll be lots of opportunities to visit. And we have so. a big party happening on the 19th. So oh, the 19th get, of yeah, August. Yeah, get your tickets for oh great a like sh- a, it's a festival isn't it? like a rave. mini festival yeah. rave yeah rave. yeah wow yes. i will be here for that i cannot wait <laughs> and come um, for the chocolate cake that, that's the reason i'm coming in your nicholas party uh in, in your cafe. nicholas party cafe yes. which we, we've been photographed in yeah. well look we'll be back very soon thank you for listening bye thank bye thank you You've been listening to Talk Art with Robert Diamond and Russell Toby. Follow us on Instagram at Talk Art, where you can view images of all artworks discussed in today's episode, with music by Jack Northover. Subscribe to Talk Art at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Give us a rating and write us a comment. Thanks for listening.